welcome to Tribe of Two, the officially unofficial podcast for The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 1, titled Chapter 9. I don't know. They're, they don't get very... You know, all the creativity that goes into these shows, and they neglect to give them episode names. Yeah, we Wait. have prefer- We have precedence for this. Episode 4, colon, A New Hope. Chapter 9, you do this colon. Chapter 9, colon. Cobb Van. You know, Bantha Poodoo. Like Boba it's, Fett. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Marshal. There's so many, so many. This chapter stuff. What is yeah. this? Legion on FX? FX Hulu? This is Disney Plus. I want a colon. I want a proper subtitle. Take the take the plus off Disney. Just call it Disney because you're, you're not plusing That's it. That's what it is. You're not plusing those yeah. episode names. Uh, what do yeah. you think of the episode aside from the name? Uh, I thought it was good. Like I when I I sucked my teeth and I saw it's fifty five minutes long. I'm like, wow, okay. We'll see what the you know if this is going to be groaning under an extra fifteen minutes of fat. But it still felt very breezy, very fun. Uh, there's so so much Star Wars references and like lore building packed into this episode. Yeah. Um, and you know I don't. Timothy Oliphant um, apparently is working in a writer into his contracts that he must play a marshal in every fucking role that that he has, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not even mad. He, he's he's a he's a brilliant part addition to the Star Wars universe. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I guess my only complaint is we didn't get a lot of Baby Yoda. We got two or three like cute scenes. Yeah. His ears flapping in the the wind, the breeze of the speeder bike was was adorable. Him retreating into his baby yoda bassinet right before the ass kicking started was was cute yeah um but you know he's he's taking a literal back seat in this episode what'd you think yeah he got kicked out of the way in this episode literally um i I agree like i i found myself just really enjoying the episode uh and and not even noticing that it was an extra long episode You, you know it starts with a recap of season one so there are a couple minutes there so it's it's not quite as long as maybe it seems true but True. It flew by. Um, I really enjoyed like seeing more of the Tuscan Raiders culture, kind of like you know mm-hmm. having discussions, um, seeing that they keep all these pets and stuff. Aside from just Banthas, uh, I, I don't know that that stuff was really interesting to me. And I, I know probably a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about is in like comic books and uh, you know Star Wars Rebels and Clone Wars and stuff, uh, which I haven't the aftermath seen. trilogy. Yeah. yeah, all that stuff. Um, Cobb Vanth, I guess, is not a new character, but he's new to me. Um, so right. a lot of this stuff was just like, oh, look at that. You know, that's a new thing for Star Wars. Graffiti in Star Wars. Oh, my God, I had no idea. Uh, we'll talk about all that stuff, but it was fun. A ton of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, one thing I noticed, and I don't know if it's going to be just for Timothy Oliphant or it's something that they're doing new for the sound design. Uh the bounty hunter now, when he walks around, jingle jangles like a cowboy. Like, like his he's got spurs. Ar- his Besker armor makes that kind of jingle jangle as he's walking around. Um, nice. Now, I-, I noticed Kim Renfro had an interview with the sound designer or maybe the composer. And I guess they try. I guess they mixed in that spur sound throughout season one. But I went back and listened and I. I didn't hear it, and I was huh. thinking that like this is either an in-universe nod to just how very spaghetti Star Wars Western this was, yeah, or it's something between the the symbol on his shoulder or his jet jet pack is now jingle jangly. Uh, but I I love it because that's this this is these these guys are gunfighters and the old outer rim west of Star Wars. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun for sure. 
and you know even even down to like uh moss pelgo being a frontier town right like these old ramshackle wooden uh you got a you got a general store and uh maybe a couple of houses and a motel if you're lucky or, or a cantina yeah yeah, I kept on thinking about how tightly coupled, like, it would not surprise me if uh, later this year, I guess it's pretty, already pretty late this year, next year, Disney Disney announces that gonna, there's going to be a Mandalorian MMO, because, like, I mm. couldn't help but think, like, when the Mando is saying, like, I've been quested to do this or that, I'm like, you're literally, you're, you're, you're talking about a video game quest, and then... Uh, this entire episode is essentially a live action version of a real vi- side quest that you could play in the old Knights of the Old Republic, right down to killing a crate. Uh, 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 uh-huh. How do you say that? Getting the pearl. Uh, uh, getting the crate dragon, getting the pearl from it as your loot. Um, all that stuff just seamlessly feeds one from the other, the other to the one. Um, and I was just thinking, like, oh, I can see it. I can see it. You have your customizable ship, your customizable armor. You go to your guild leader, and he gives you the the, the quests of the week, and you've got long-term seasonal quests, and, you know. Yeah, they, I wonder how much of that they've done dark in, like, Old Republic. Because, mm. you know, there is a current oh, yeah, Star Wars about. MMO, but how I don't know how big a part the Mandalorians are of that. Presumably they could is be. Is there actually a Star Wars MMO right now? I thought uh-huh. that that had gone defunct. No, I think Old Republic is still running. Huh. All right. Uh, the the other one, Galaxies, I'm pretty sure is not running. That God, that's 20 one. years old at this point. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was real. Yeah. yeah. I remember being excited about that when we were teenagers. Uh-huh. But um, anyway, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a nice... It, it's some of the best Star Wars that they're making right now. And you can tell the people really give a shit. Um, you know, a lot of these like references and Easter eggs are just fun for the fans, but a lot of it is just like having respect for your material, you know, uh, how yeah. should Bantas or how should sand people ride their Bantas? Well, old fucking Ben Kenobi said they ride them single file to hide their numbers. By God, they actually remembered. So when you see a bunch of them riding together, they're in single fire, fire file to hide their numbers. Like I, I don't know why other friends, I don't know why other franchises struggle with that. Like it's like not, it's got to be easy to hire a couple nerds that know Wikipedia, Wikipedia to to keep your shit straight. And yet Star Trek can't ever do mm. this properly. Yeah. Star Trek's uh, trying to be. Gener- generational struggles with keeping their lore. Uh, you know, and it's one thing to change something deliberately because, like, hey, this is a new direction. It's another that, like, clearly you just don't know what the fuck you're doing. So I feel like uh, time and time again... Uh, Favro has showed that he we're we're in pretty good hands with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the person, the, the people running this show, are are Star Wars fans. Yeah, I, I mean they're bigger Star Wars fans than I am. Certainly, uh, they've got references yeah. from everything Star Wars. You we were talking about, you know, that old uh, Knights of the Old Republic game. They're they're talking about like Star Wars Rebels and Clone Wars, and uh, you know the prequels are in here. Um, there's just a million different things referenced in this episode when i was i was like halfway through and i was like i was like i wonder if it'd be interesting to come up with a metric like wikipedia entries per minute uh-huh. like wepms <laughs> and and like like you've got like a hard drive there's there's inputs outputs on that you've got different statistics like read versus write performance because there's two ways like how many references to wikipedia are they making per minute and how many wikipedia articles are they causing to be written per minute oh god because yeah you know, like every single time, like, oh, look at these armadillo desert rats. That's probably something they just came up with. And they're going to have mm-hmm. a Wikipedia entry now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
uh, most Pelega or whatever. It's like that's now like I don't that probably wasn't uh, in Wikipedia. Maybe it is. Maybe there's a bunch of there's a, a collection of all the different Moses on Tatooine. Mm-hmm. But uh, it just feels very dense uh, in the same way that like Lord of the Rings does, where it's like if you notice it, it's there. If you don't, it's just part of a real lived in universe. And that's key, right? It can't be so bogged down in these references and so like in your face with them that people who aren't uh, clued into them don't enjoy the episode. And I think this this show never falls into that trap. Uh, nope. I don't know. Maybe we should start talking about the episode proper. We should probably. Because uh, we'll get to these references as we go along here uh, and kind of point them out a little bit. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Our coverage of Hot D, Fire and Blood, and the 1980s Shogun miniseries continues. But then on Tuesday, for the first time in 35 years, we asked a question. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Hop aboard the train to Toontown as we revisit this incredible blending of live action and animation to see if it still holds up all this time later. Then on Wednesday, we get our first look at Blake Crouch's mind-bending sci-fi series, Dark Matter. First two episodes drop simultaneously on Apple TV Plus, and we'll have a pair of podcasts quantumly linked ready for you to observe. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. So the first scene is Mando visiting an underground fighting den to see uh, Gore Koresh for information on another Mandalorian who he thinks will be able to help him uh, sort of track down Baby Yoda's origination. Um, And Gore wants 
there's a problem. Gore wants his armor um, in exchange for the information, which, you know, uh, Mando's not going to give up his armor. And he Gore tries to take it at gunpoint. That doesn't work. Mando fights off all of his goons. And then he forces Gore to tell him that the Mando is on Tatooine. Uh, I, I thought this is a pretty fun action se- sequence. And, you know, here the Easter eggs are coming fast and furious. We see this fighting pit. These Gamorrean guards fighting each other. This is kind of a reference. A lot of people, I think we even talked about this in a preview episode. Um, a little reference to this very old, obscure PlayStation 1, Generation 1 game called Masters of Terrace. Kasi, yeah. Kasi, yeah. Uh, just a way to shoehorn um, a, a fighting game into a Star Wars skin. Uh-huh. And it featured um, a Gamorrean guard character by the name of Thok. Uh, who hmm. fought? Uh, and and I thought this this might be the first canonical appearance of vibroblades. You hear about these all the time in the uh, the comic. Well, no, I mean they they've used them in season one of Mandalorian. Oh, really? They had that yeah. same effect, that like shimmery effect. Yeah, Mando has one. He cuts open the, the beast, the hairy beast or oh. whatever. He, I think he kills it with gotcha. that. Gotcha. Uh, Can't remember, but I I I think that's really cool to see the like vibroblade stuff. Um, and yeah, then the, the Mandalorian like the Mandalorian uh you know cl- uh, cl- uh, closing down shop on his this guy's entire gang sing- single handedly with his wrist rockets and his hand to hand. You can't fight a guy hand to hand when he's wearing a helmet. I'm sorry, it's it, just you can't. And they they run afoul of of the the armor and the gunfighter uh stuff occasionally even in this episode yeah. and i'll point it out when we get mm-hmm. to it but mm-hmm. yeah I, I you know he makes a mistake he he tries to challenge mando no one challenges mando and lives uh well i guess he lives unless these spider bots or whatever the hell they are tear him apart yeah i got a question though do do you have an idea is the mandalorian an exceptionally good mandalorian like not not good like virtuous but like he's like the pinnacle of mandalorians in terms of skill and weapons and armor because this this guy this gore koresh peels mandalorians out of their armor for a living like that's <laughs> that's he runs the illicit besker metal ring yeah. he's got like Presumably, he does this professionally, and the Mandalorian just shuts his whole house down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Like that's certainly the story they're telling, right? I, I thought the Mandalorian was like like a Mandalorian on uh, on the come up. You know, he he just yeah. got his full armor. He just got blessed with his jetpack. Uh, he's he's still got a lot to learn, but apparently, he's also just the the most Mandalorian of the Mandalorians. Yeah, he's a gifted beginner. Uh... I would say. Yeah, like a Luke Skywalker, maybe. Sure. Like, uh, you know, uh, just off the farm. But hey, you can blow up the Death Star. That's that's not a bad way to look at it, honestly. Uh-huh. Um. So, yeah. I, I like uh, seeing all the graffiti as they're they're walking through this uh, area here. It's it's like it's the bad part of town, right? Um, it's, it's a wretched hive. <laughs> uh-huh. For sure. So wretched. Full of scum and villainy. Uh, and then, like, just also, like, um, if you thought the Mandalorian had gone soft after his season of parenting and his newfound love of Andro- of, of droids, uh, he strings up this guy and lets the local wildlife just eat him alive. That was pretty, yeah, pretty metal, pretty metal for the Mandalorian. I thought, and they don't show any of it really. Uh, it's it's all drenched in darkness, right? He shoots out the light, um, so you can't even see. Even if they showed you, you wouldn't be able to see what was happening to this guy. 
right but the the red eyes creeping closer and closer and him screaming like i, I imagine there's a lot yeah. of eight-year-olds that were trying to snuggle in the mom and dad's uh the side of mom and dad on the couch watching this episode for sure and it's a badass shot too right he shoots the light out he's walking away it's kind of we're shooting over his shoulder as he's walking toward the camera uh you know it's a, it's a pretty standard like hero shot um Oh yeah, those red eyes. That's what I'm saying. Like, if I'm a kid, I'm seeing those for a couple nights afterwards. Especially coming uh-huh. coming right into Halloween. It's creepy time anyway. <laughs> especially killing John Leguizamo. Like, that's that's the biggest shame of it. Uh, <laughs> this guy. I don't know if you're aware, but he was voiced by Leguizmo himself. Ah, Leguizmo Leguizamo, huh? That, uh-huh. that little chestnut. It didn't really did sound like that. him. Uh, no, he was doing a performance. He was. Turns out. All right, then cool. uh, you're going to have to you're going to have to get a Mandalorian nightlight for your kids, though. So they <laughs> make sure it's, it's it's just two red LEDs. Two dot, yeah. <laughs> so Mando takes off uh, from this planet and heads over to Tatooine. Uh, he sets the Razor Quest Razor Crest down in uh, Pelly's port again. Uh, you might mm-hmm. remember her from season one. She tells him where uh, Mos Pelgo used to be and maybe still is. And he takes off on a speeder bike so as not to be seen approaching by the bandits who took it after the Empire fell. Yeah, I like this. The Star Wars kind of like thinking about, you know, post Empire that like yeah. um, it's a well, you know, it's like you, you overthrow this despotic, tyrannical regime. But there's a, a power vacuum. Uh, and what does that look like for the common uh, men and women around the galaxy and it had you know especially in these places where it's like even the empire's hold yeah. was tenuous it's going to take the republic a while to get out here and establish law and justice and things have kind of gone to shit mm-hmm. uh i i i like that that other kind of like you know in, some of my favorite articles in in the um like apocrypha is like the people that do studies on like you know that the death star actually blew up over the forest moon the sheer tonnage of that entering the atmosphere and raining down would just cause this Ewok Holocaust. It's yeah, it's like, like right after apes. everybody danced and did the the did the yub yub. Uh, you're gone. You're gone. Yeah, uh, all those teddy bears scorched. They they from, all from had toxic to, metal rain. They had to go underground. Sixteen generations from now, they're gonna come <laughs> back up. You're not even gonna recognize the Ewoks, right? They're gonna have no eyes. Yeah. It's gonna be albino. They're gonna have uh-huh. giant jaws that can swallow you whole. It's uh, it, it's crazy. <laughs> But I, yeah, I do like this kind of more realistic because we always see the heroes and they always fuck shit up and they tear stuff down and mm-hmm. everybody's cool. The in Coruscant, they're throwing stormtroopers into the fountains and whatnot. But here in Tatooine, people are getting enslaved. Shit's real. Yeah, uh, and I like how they do the flashback with Cobb, uh, his character, because it gives you kind of you know a whole story there, right? It gives you the fall of the Empire and the Death Star, and it takes you all the way through to. What is a, a few years later, I guess? Uh, yeah, I'm yeah, actually not sure. even sure. How long after the fall of the Empire is this supposed to take place? So the Mandalorian takes place 9 ABY, which is that's after the Battle of Yavin, which okay. that's uh, the climax of the original Star Wars A New Hope. The first so that Death means, Star, right? Yep. So that means we're about five years after Return of the Jedi um, okay. as, as the Mandalorian opens. Uh, the music here was a little strange for me. It felt like... Uh, coming out of that scene with the red eyes and the Mandalorian theme mm. and the title card, that this song they played as he flies to to Mos Eisley there is like too triumphant. It, it's we're five minutes into this episode, we're five minutes into what I think is going to be a season season long at least journey to find Yoda's 
uh, home world or where he came from, Baby sure, Yoda. His people. It it just felt like we had we had landed at the final destination and we were ready to like see the the end of this journey with the music they were playing. It, it felt a little too triumphant, a little out of place to me. I think I mean I I'm not going to disagree with you. I think what they're going for is to evoke um the beginning of the pod race type of music like this pomp okay. and circumstance. But it's weird cuz I don't associate Tatooine with its like largest Boonta Eve race where you've got no. like a pageantry and all that kind of stuff. I associate it with like the wretched hives of scum and villainy, Especially so. this era of Tatooine, right? Cuz that was 30 yeah, years ago. That was that was back during the Great Republic where before things had, you know, Mos I you know, Tatooine's a place like um like modern day Afghanistan. You know, you look at yeah. uh, in the 70s or Iran, you see how like cosmopolitan everything looked and then it gets a war every six years or so, and then like it, yeah. So, so you, you're right. You're right. It was a little bit of a um, maybe a tonal mismatch. And the show is usually so good. Like all the other music in this show is excellent. It just it clashed for me. Mm-hmm. Then we get a quick montage of Mando journeying to Mos Pelgo. He goes to the cantina where he finds Cobb Vanth, the marshal of Mos Pelgo. Uh, he's wearing Boba Fett's armor. Mando demands that he take it off, and he refuses. And Mando's about to kill him uh, and take the armor, but the crate dragon passes through the town, distracting them. Um, I I do think that they could have. Well, I I guess this town is maybe on the the rebound after the marshal came, and he's been holding law and justice. Because I I did feel it looked a little less sacked than I was expecting. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it looked like uh, something they made out of brand new concrete forms out in the desert because <laughs> that's no doubt what they were. Yeah, especially for what amounts to that Western frontier town, you know, where where people are just getting by trying to stake their claim yeah. on, a, on a gold mine. There could be some blaster scorch marks on the walls. Maybe some of yeah. those could be like like a, a, a torn a, a corners torn, especially since it's great. This uh, crate dragon's been rampaging for a couple seasons now. Mm-hmm. Like uh, make uh, make make everything. Maybe a couple of the buildings are are sinking at a different angle because it swam underneath them. It was a little too perfect. It, it reminded me a lot of like seeing uh, right before the Star Wars um, experience at Disney launched, and like I, I saw some pictures of like the the park itself with no people in it. It's like oh, this is obviously brand new and shiny and. Nobody, no kid, no person has spit on the not sidewalk. It reminded puke, me of that. Not enough uh, spilled yeah. hot dogs and sodas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's like, it's it very, it, it felt a little bit, honestly, like uh, prequel era stuff where it's mm-hmm. like in, in the classic trilogy, everything, like you look at Luke's X-Wing and it's like got like coolant dripping down and grease and yeah. scorch marks and stuff. Uh, whereas in the prequels, everything was shiny and parade ready and, and ornamental. And I felt like, yeah, some of that, that's minor complaints, but yeah, distressed this shit. If, yeah. if you're going to sell a distressed uh, border town, then yeah, have it be a little dingier than, than maybe it is. And they're always, you know, spot on with that stuff in the rest of the show. It's, it was a little surprising. Um, like I, I think of the razor crest, right? It practically is falling apart yeah. at some, at some point. Yeah. Um, that's exactly the kind of Star Wars engineering I think I think about when you're talking about bounty hunters and people living on the fringes of society that don't have unlimited funds. Yeah, I, I will say it did look uh, weather worn, like like the sand had blasted some of the paint off and mm. things like that. It maybe just didn't have the battle damage I expected. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you. Speaking of uh, 
maybe not having the exact right look. What do you, you think of Timothy Oliphant when he shows up in that doorway wearing Boba Fett's armor? I loved it. It looked like a guy who's wearing armor that doesn't fit him, and he has the stereotypical Timothy Oliphant lean. He absolutely does, like, yeah. One shoulder's higher than the other, one leg's cocked out. He kind of he, he kind of walks like um, uh, C- Captain Jack Sparrow three, three months in recovery. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he's still kind of lurching from place to place, but he's no longer three bottles of rum into the day. Uh, I love, yeah, it's, it's Seth Bullock in, it's Seth Bullock from, uh, Deadwood wearing Boba Fett's chest and, and head and armor and gauntlets. And it's such, it looks exactly like that. Such a mismatch, right? It's like, this guy does not belong in this armor. Uh, you can see, you can look over the, across the room and see Pedro Pascal filling out this armor. Uh, yeah. and then you see the lanky Timothy Oliphant over there you know, loosely rattling around in Boba Fett's old armor. It's it's really funny. Like, when he stepped up in that doorway, I'm like, I'm not supposed to be, like, impressed, am I? Because it, I'm not. Right, and I was thinking, like, I, I was thinking all kinds of things. Like, well, this could be, you know, the rumored appearance of Boba Fett. This could be the other thing. And then he opens his mouth. I'm like, well, that's Timothy Oliphant. Yeah. Um, but I still didn't know if he was like a Mandalorian or what. There and were so many then, leaks that I, I already knew like Timothy Oliphant was gonna be wearing Boba Fett's armor, but he you know, he wasn't Boba right, Fett. Right, but they they, like, they don't keep you guessing for very long. Like he sits down and takes off. I, I love the way they yeah. portrayed, like even though you can't see Ped, uh, Pedro Pascal's face, he's probably not even in the armor. Uh right. like just like you could see his eyebrows shoot up to the top of his helmet when uh uh, uh, uh Tim, Cobb took his helmet off. Because that's something, yeah. you know. Well, this brings uh, me to the whole, yeah, the whole confrontation between them. Um, this is where they run afoul a little bit of of the idea that like there's any threat of a blaster of a sidearm uh, to Mando, right? Like they they stand there in their dual pose, like they're cowboys in the middle of the street at high noon, and they're going to shoot each other down. But I'm not scared for either of them because they're both wearing Mandalorian battle armor. It doesn't. It doesn't pose any threat yeah and then later in the episode they prove that right by having mando get shot or actually no um having Cobb get shot in boba fett's armor and it just bouncing right off of him and they said the same thing in the first episode of the mandalorian he takes a shot in his besker like this is just bulletproof it's like john wick wearing a suit where i think that going forward the suspense is um precision like if you can aim, like you, know, we've seen the man, the Mandalorian get shot in the gut, or get shot in the thigh, or get shot in the shoulder. Like you have to, like like a, a big knight wearing full plate armor, you got to get your sword jammed into the armpit, or to the groin, or to the neck. Like you got to find the weaknesses because yeah, if you just try to shoot him in the head or the heart, it's just going to pating, yeah, uh, or whatever the blaster equivalent of that would be. Anywhere that could do actual real damage is covered. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was weird that um, the bartender, they call him Weeque. That's the name of the species. That's like if you had uh, hmm. the Chewbacca behind the bar and they said, Wookie. <laughs> I mean. I mean, maybe maybe, maybe. it is. It's, uh, yeah. Um, I just thought it was weird that they didn't, that the because uh, it uh, felt like the Cobb and him were friends. It felt like all this community. Mm-hmm. Like everyone really respected Cobb. He was the... Yeah. He's like the, you know, the law and order in a town by everyone's consent and decree. So and it makes sense once that, we see his backstory, right? That he came here and yeah. essentially liberated all these people who were slaves. Yeah. Yeah. Very selfless. He could have taken his armor and, and gone off and been a bounty hunter, but he loved the town mm-hmm. and he came back to save it. 
Uh, so Cobb asks Mando to help him kill the Kray Dragon in exchange for the armor, and he agrees. They can't use the Razor Crest, though, so they journey to uh, the Kray Dragon's den on uh, speeder bikes. And on the way, Cobb explains the history of Mos Pelgo and how he got his armor and subsequently retook the settlement. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's just some good Baby Yoda moments here, too, with him, his ears flopping in the breeze. Uh, uh, I thought that was pretty good. And also, just real briefly, we know this Boba Fett's armor, just for people who might not be um, the biggest Star Wars fans, primarily because the, it's not the markings, because, you know, anyone could grab, grab Mandalorian army and paint it wherever you want. Um it's that there's a distinctive dent in his helmet mm-hmm. in a very particular position that is an exact match for Boba Fett's, Boba Fett, Boba Fett's armor. Um, also, the fact that Jawas would have it on Tatooine makes sense because the last we heard of Boba Fett, yeah. he's being digested into the pit of a uh, of a, uh, of the stomach of a sarlock. Um, yeah, I, I even know. like the, the the details of like the armor looking like it's etched a little bit, like acid etched, or its uh-huh. its paint has been worn off. Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, it depends on how much you know uh, about Sarlaccs. But yeah, they digest you slowly over thousands of years, obviously, as they say in the original trilogy. Um, now, Cobb Vanth is not a new character, and he shows up in in a series of books. What what did you call them? Called Aftermath. It's like a tri- it's, it, it's a trilogy, a canon trilogy, as opposed to the Star Wars Legend stuff uh, that came out, I think, in 2018. Uh, and it deals with this connective time period between the old seek, the old trilogy and the new trilogy, like the immediate aftermath of the fall of the empire. What did the galaxy look like? And I guess specifically as it relates to the, the Boba Fett armor, um, there's some information in there about how they, the Jabba's maybe have collected the armor, uh, in the aftermath of Jabba's, uh, barge going down mm-hmm. in the desert. I read the main article for the the series, but I didn't look into like the details of it. Did are they implying that like the Sarlacc shit this armor out, or are they implying that does a Sarlacc shit? Like, I don't know if a Sarlacc shits. <laughs> does a uh, Sarlacc does a Sar- does a Sarlacc shit in the desert, Jim? It, it wouldn't uh, shit anywhere else. I can tell you that. I don't know because like you know this is a Star Wars legend because this is Tales in the Bounty Hunter, but like right. I always thought I would my, my my backstory is my man Dengar came back from Boba Fett, fished him out of there, nursed him back to health, and uh, yeah, you know, changed both of the men's life forever. I wonder because just because stuff is Star Wars legend doesn't mean it's not true. It just means that Lucas Film and Disney have reserved the right to say it's not true. But we've seen time and time again how they are directly. Uh, mining this material for information for the canon because you know, yeah. you know, like Grand Admiral Thrawn is, is survived the pro that the the canonization. Um, so yeah, I wonder if they'll keep to that backstory or or what because so far it's really really mysterious. Yeah, um, th- there's some other interesting uh, callbacks in here. We see uh, Cobb grab. He, he says he grabbed every what he could and he took off when you know the mining corporation uh mining collective showed up to take over Mos pelgo uh and what he grabs is something called a camtono which i think is just has just been named here in uh this show i'm not sure it had a name before it's a space bucket right (laughs) it's a space bucket but this is this is hilarious because in empire strikes back one of the things you see is some guy running down a hallway with what everybody called the ice cream maker, 
Like when Darth Vader took over and and, and Moss Eisley <laughs> oh, was going City. down, or yeah. not Moss Eisley, when uh, Cloud City was going down, uh-huh. everybody was like, this is the thing he grabs, a fucking ice cream maker? Well, it turns out, you know, this was a, a container that held things and now it has a name, a Camtona. I like it. I like it. Um, I like the, there's, there's a lot of stuff, you know, um, little, little Easter eggs in this, uh, the, the, the Jawa scenes. Mm-hmm. I really like the speeder bike scenes. Cause did you notice that Timothy Oliphant is essentially riding half of Anakin's pod racer? It's very, very similar. Yeah. It, it doesn't have the same markings, but the exact same make and model and coloration. Um, so it doesn't have to literally be his, just like that red R5 right. droid doesn't have to, that, um, uh, Amy Sedaris's character had doesn't literally have to be, I know that they had like, it's, 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 it's dome had some damage repaired. So maybe it had a bad motivator, but the way I look at that is like, there's a million R5 astromech droids in this galaxy. And mm-hmm. if they are known for having bad motivators, there's a couple hundred thousand that have had repaired motivators. Yeah. So it's like. I don't know that it's important for this to be the the right R R four D five or whatever, but it is cool that someone would take a pod racer that we know is like barely controlled speed thing and just essentially strap bars and pegs to it and ride <laughs> like a motorcycle. Yeah, it's so fucking cool. That is cool. Uh, so then they they stop for some reason. Oh. Wait, one other one other big Star Wars wank uh, in uh-huh. this flashback scene of him taking care of these mercenaries. Boba Fett's backpack rocket. Oh, yeah. He uses that in like, the flashback wh- and in the the later episode. And when we were kids, I always thought that weird thing in the top of Boba Fett's helmet was an antenna. But in visual dictionaries in the years since, they said that, no, no, that's actually intended to fold down like a rangefinder. Like, uh, like oh, a, a yeah. you know. Like like a virtual weapons aid, and I love that he actually used it as such. And also, kind of it, cool. it, it looks goofy when he fires the rocket. He kind of like does this Japanese Hunches bow over, and, sure. Yeah, like like the rocket can't. You know, you have to kind of aim it. You know, it can't just do a parabolic arc to its target. That 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 would be too cool. <laughs> but I loved the the him using the rangefinder was super cool. Yeah. Uh, so they stop in the desert for some reason. I'm actually not sure if they're setting up camp or what. Um, and Mando uses his Tuscan language skills to team up with some Tuscan raiders who also want the Great Dragon dead. In their camp, Cobb get, Cob gets uh, into an argument with one, and Mando is uh, forced to intervene, finally asking how they're going to kill the Great Dragon. Yeah, it's like, um, you know... Uh... There's a lot. There's there's strengths using the the spaghetti western blueprint. Uh, there's weaknesses like because this is li- this is literally a cowboys and Indians um, story. Um, but if you map too much onto that, then like some of this stuff might come across as as offensive. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought it's good. Kind of like yeah. you know uh, who did wrong to who. It doesn't matter. You got to f- face this larger threat. Um, and I think it's just it's pretty good. Cool stuff. seeing Mando speak Tuscan. Like I'm. I, I, I don't know. They're, they're kind of filling out his character a little bit. You know, he is a yeah. guy who has spends obviously a lot of time here um, and out right. in the desert. And this, I, I wonder how many other languages he speaks, right? Does he speak Gamorrean? Right. Does he speak Twi'lek or Twi'lek, whatever. And that's the cool thing is like where you can get away with, um, it's like not a one-to-one because the sand people are really, you know, they're part, there's, there's Bedouin, traditions in there mm. there's like it's mm. like they're like they they look like bedouins live like native americans and raid like vikings sure uh 
it, it's 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 got a lot of that stuff and the fact that mando's there vouching for it, it's like hey you know you can think what you want about these people but they're honorable and they keep their word and uh you know there's implications that you know there's a lot of the strife between the settlement and them there's a misunderstanding um uh, yeah and just seeing them do the language like i like how it was like very it's not just the 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 words themselves but there's this layer of like gesture based like almost uh, sign language that 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 component to it that i thought was really cool yeah um so then they journey to the great dragon's den which is an abandoned sarlacc pit where they try to lure it out with a live bantha but it eats the handler instead and then Mando and the Tuscans work out some new ideas for killing the Kray Dragon, which involves getting a whole lot of Cobb's townspeople to volunteer. Yeah, the, that reaction shot of the three sand people start like look through to like seeing their fellow a uh, 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 sand person getting eaten. I thought was pretty because it's I don't know the, the 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 design of the sand people's face is kind of like shocked Pikachu and. Okay. Yeah. I don't know whether they found this scene and just like when they're filming, but like just having these guys kind of have that reaction is, is, was, it was comical. Um, like I busted, I, yeah, I busted out laughing just the looks on these guys' face after their dude got eaten. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of other things like, um, it makes sense like, uh, that, that this structure, I guess, is a Sarlacc. Like if, you know, like, um, like, I guess the Sarlacc crawls in and out of this thing, or maybe the crate dragon like hollowed it out to get at it. But the fact that this crate dragon's so big, it ate a fucking Sarlacc. Mm-hmm. Pretty wild. Um, you know, we've seen the bones of crate dragons before in Star in the original Star Wars. There's these huge like dinosaur looking bones yeah. that C3PO and R2D2 walk past in a desert. But this is like what an order of magnitude bigger than even that huge skeleton we saw in the desert. That's a big dragon. I think so. Yeah, it's cool because when they blow up the dragon, finally, um, they show a shot very similar to the bones that we saw in the desert in the original uh, movie. Yeah, this is very like uh, Paul Atreides from Doom shit. Like these are some sandworms, baby. Mm. Yeah, Um, they treat Tatooine like it's a almost like it's a sea, right? It's the inverse of like water world, right? The the desert is the ocean to these gigantic creatures, like a trimmers kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I really like what they do with tattooing here. Yeah, I was waiting for Reba McIntyre to show up with her <laughs> elephant gun. <laughs> yeah. That would have been... It had been funny if they had, like, a curly, red-headed uh, lady in the mining town, you know, mm-hmm. with a little bit of... Because uh, Timmy the Elephant has a little bit He's of kind his, of Kevin uh, Kentucky Bacon. justified accent. He is <laughs> He's the Kevin a little Bacon Kevin Bacon. Trimmers episode. For sure. For sure. Got to do something about this graboid, man. It's uh-huh. tearing up my town. So they go back to Mos Pelgo and explain the situation to the townspeople. They're reluctant to team up with the Tuscan Raiders, but Mando is able to convince them uh, with the help of Cobb, obviously. And they begin packing their gear and the Tuscans show up. Uh, things are a little tense, but they set off together anyway. Yeah, they're going to use, uh, I presume these are like mining explosives. They've got all these different explosive charges and there's this cool scene where they just load up this Bantha. Mm-hmm. With uh, which I thought that's Chekhov's band if I've ever seen one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yep. I know I've seen I've seen enough of these belly of the beast things. I I kind of know where this is going. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a good speech where you know the Marshal and Mando t- kind of team up to convince the townspeople to work. It's, just, it's the same thing they did with the uh, t- the Tuscans, except for now they're having to do it to townsfolk. And it's like, you know, if they respect Cobb this much, right? He comes back and he saves them and he does it all using Boba Fett's armor. What are they get how are they right. gonna respect a real Mandalorian? 
you know, yeah. some, someone who's... their their reputation always precedes them. Like everyone exactly. knows, like, what do you know about Mandalorians? They're good at killing. Yep. Well, we got one on our side now, and and he thinks we need these Tuscan Raiders. So, yeah, you know, you guys can't even save yourself from some human mercenaries, let alone this thing. So then the great dragon's sleeping when they arrive at its den, and they have to. Uh, it's it's all like a bunch of exposition, like explaining oh how they have to attack it and all this. Uh, they got hit mm. in its weak belly, so they plant explosives near the entrance with a plan to lure it out again. And it looks like it's not going to work. Um, it's not going to take the bait, but they toss a bunch of explosives in its face and they pull it out with harpoons and then they blow it up. Unfortunately, <laughs> that doesn't do it. It's not dead. Uh, Mando and Cobb go after it with their jetpacks, which is sweet. And they get it to eat a bantha along with Mando. And when it resurfaces, uh, that's the same bantha you're talking about with the explosives on it. Um, when it resurfaces, Mando flies out and detonates those explosives and it's dead. Yeah, there's a lot, there, there's something cool they do at the beginning of this fight when they, when they get the, they, they pull it out of the cave and it's the, the crate dragon is rushing towards the camera, the aspect ratio, the, the, the it zooms in, zooms in and gets rid of the letterboxing. And then you get hmm. full screen action for the duration of the, the, the battle, the crate dragon, which I thought was really cool. Um, like, I don't know that canonically it could spit acid fire, but that was really fucking wild. It's just dissolving town, tons of sand people and townspeople. It yeah. getting to the top of that mountain. Like it's the, the, the demon from night on bald mountain and just, just raining down acid on people. Yeah. Like you mentioned the, the two Mandalorians, um, flying to the top to try to like distract it and, and, and save the people, all that stuff, uh, I thought that that was that is just really good. Oh yeah, if um, I'm ten the, years old, this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I'm I'm looking forward for for Jack to see it tonight when he comes over. Um, but then I I'm not exactly sure how this works because like there's some blue lightning coming out, like implying that I don't know the Mandalorian activated his <laughs> armor theft device, uh, anti theft device or something, shocked the shit out of his crate dragon, but he he's yeah. able to get out. And, and time for it to explode. I mean, this is exact. This is, I mean, I think we're seeing how Boba Fett escaped from the Sarlacc, essentially. Sure. Right. Like, he probably has the same capabilities and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cool. It's cool. I thought it was weird when he said, I need you to take care of the child. Was he actually saying, like, if I don't make it out of this, like, I'm setting you up with a life debt? Or is it just kind of like literally watch the kid while I'm in the guy's gullet for a minute? Maybe both. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't sure he was going to make it. And yeah, it could be a life debt kind of thing. It's also reference to the the Return of the Jedi because uh, the Mandalorian smacks Cobb on his backpack and sends him into a, a Boba Fett death spiral. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Mandalorian should look in fixing that if for sure. Tap your back if someone taps your backpack and you go uncontrollably flying for thirty seconds. Uh, it's gotten t- gotten two people wearing the armor in trouble just from what I've seen. You know. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe I, maybe put a switch on the cover of that switch or something. I, I do like when it eats Mando, everybody looks around like they're totally boned, right? Like, oh shit, they just ate our best guy. Oh, yeah. We're done. Right, this, right. Call the mission off. But, Star quarterback just broke his knee. It's we're done. Of course, you know, he's coming back out. Um, and afterward, Cobb gives back uh, Boba Fett's armor. The Tuscans pull a pearl out of the great dragon, which is a nice uh, bit of uh, Star Wars fiction there. Mando takes off, and we see a mysterious scarred-up bounty hunter watching in the distance. Who could it be? 
Who so does it this look is, like? <laughs> it's it's definitely played by Tamara Morrison. Yeah. Who, if you'll recall, uh, is Boba Fett's father in mm. the prequel trilogy, Jango Fett. And he commissioned the Kaminoan clone masters to make a precise clone, unlike the other clones they made of him. It wasn't going to have that subservient uh, mental conditioning. Uh, and it wasn't going to be accelerated growth. It was they're going to give him as a baby for him to raise as his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, it, I guess technically could be just one of the other surviving clone troops. But I think with his age, those clone troops would be like, Ben Kenobi old they'd be like in their 70s or 80s at this point right so with his scarring and the fact that he's tracking Boba Fett's armor uh I mean most people I, th- I think it's pretty clear that this is uh this is the big Boba yeah which is super exciting I mean th- this was spoiled this was spoiled I don't know I read about it weeks ago so like it wasn't a it huge is- like oh my god kind of moment which is unfortunate, yeah. you know, like if they had done with Boba Fett what they did with Baby Yoda, I think everybody would have had their fucking mind blown in this episode. Yeah, I wonder why they didn't. Because I like, know. you know, the fact that they, they could have had some dude just wearing his armor and kind of have that mystery. Now, I, in its defense, like, OK, well, if it's uh, you're saving a surprise for the first episode, like what is the real yeah. shocking thing? Right. Um, you know, they might have given away little tidbits like this just to really, you know, keep the stuff that's going to be, you know, like what's the what's the baby Yoda of season two going to be? It's uh, Luke maybe Skywalker, is, baby Luke. Yeah, would that be fi- <laughs> wild? Yeah. Uh, CGI Mark Hamill coming back. That's crazy. Like, he's aged out. He's aged oh, out yeah. of a young Luke role for sure. I mean, you've seen the new movies for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's cool. The 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 look they said that this is um. This was based on a particular, um, like, um, high end, um, uh, the, the, the Star Wars action figure version of like a, um, a Ben Kenobi from like immediately after the prequels where he still had his clone trooper armor on, but he was wearing like Ben's robes over that and he had the, huh. like, the, this exact backpack he was wearing it. So they're using, they're, they're, they're pulling a lot of like, I guess, some of the costume design from some of this concept art and some of these high-end toys and things that literally only live in like visual dictionaries and stuff. Yeah. But it looks really cool. Like a Boba Fett that's gone native. My question is like, is it really taking him five years to crawl out of the Sarlacc pit and track down his armor? And he's like, literally like, God damn it. I was about to get this armor. Uh, I don't know. I guess so. I guess it'd be a nurse back to health, you know? Yeah. I wonder what his capabilities are at this point. Is he he the same old Boba? Plus, he doesn't have his armor. How much of the you know mad the secret sauce is wearing Beskar armor? Uh, yeah, it was it was interesting to see the baby Yoda had almost nothing to do in this episode, um, and it wasn't even a MacGuffin. Like, wasn't driving the plot. Wasn't. I mean, at a high level, like baby Yoda is driving the entire plot, but right, like nothing right. in this episode really uh, did much. Because even then, like you know. Okay, Mando gets this armor, but he didn't actually find a Mandalorian, right? So what's his next lead? Uh, yeah. Who knows? Probably Boba Fett, yeah. if I had to guess. Boba Fett will find him, right? Boba Fett's, yeah. <laughs> In Tatooine, Boba Fett finds you. Uh, but that's the end of the episode. I, I love the meat cube, the giant meat cube that they take with them. They just pack it, you know, wrap it up in some cloth, and they got just this yeah. huge chunk of crate Dragon on the back oh, of that speeder. Eat, you- you can eat off a crate dragon cube for months, man. <laughs> I bet you can. 
Just just slice just just slice a little bit. It's like uh, ready made jerky. You know those things Ugh. are naturally dehydrated living out in the desert. It's true. Uh, it's true. No, it's a, it's a good episode. Shall we look at the, what people sent in for feedback? Yeah, let's do it. We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R.R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeney. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, if very special isn't your speed, we've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp starting April 3rd. So the way you send feedback is mando at baldmove.com, or there is a thread discussing the Mandalorian on our forums at forums.baldmove.com. First up, Tam Jones says, I'm a longtime listener, so you can imagine I'm so excited to recover the Mandalorian. My view experience will now be complete. <laughs> Having said that, I want to beg you to do something to enhance the coverage and infuse it with canon. Do yourselves and us a favor and watch Star Wars Rebels. There's like 48 the- seasons, man. <laughs> During the 100-day lockdown here in Melbourne, I watched the entire Star Wars franchise, including Clone Wars, Rebels, and Resistance from start to finish, and truly found Clone Wars and Rebels to be canon-expandingly ultra-satisfying viewing. That's his reputation. My problem mm-hmm. is when I during the lockdown, I was watching The Walking Dead and making a <laughs> podcast. I my 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 funzy Star Wars time was was uh, fucking around with Negan and and Rick's people. Yeah. Uh, there's so many references that are important to Mando season two from these two series, Ahsoka and her journey, uh, her link to Sabine Wren, who's a major character in Rebels and who we think is the artist. mystery character played by Sasha Banks, and oh yes, bring back Ezra Bridger. See, I these are all references I don't understand. Sabine Wren, um, I looked it up because I got into a graffiti hole in Star Wars, and it's apparently a Mandalorian whose trademark is like graffitiing things. It has graffiti bombs that she throws huh. off. Uh, also, Rebels Viewing can provide you with access to cool and critical details around Mandalorian culture, the source of the Black Saber, 
Uh, and most, most importantly, why Katie Sackhoff's character, Bo-Katan, uh, who was given the Dark S- uh, Saber in Rebels, uh, seems to have lost the Saber and might be coming back uh, for it. With so much rich backstory, you got to go for it, boys. You won't be disappointed. Or um, I no, could just I... spend six hours reading it all. Like, uh, th- that's the thing. You can go to do this research. Like, I'm familiar with some of the stuff you're talking about now just because I spent an hour researching it. Yeah. And and uh, it's just like, I can't, I can't, I can't watch 100 hours of Star Wars between now and even the end of the season. So I will right. be doing my dil- due diligence that way. And also, also, if the Mandalorian's worth its salt, they're going to know that small percentage of its overall fan base is going to have seen all of the star Wars. So they're going to have to introduce all these concepts, you know, mm-hmm. um, for people that are unfamiliar with it like myself, but uh, I have no doubt. Like, and I, and I've seen, I've seen quite a bit of the clone wars. Um, and I saw a little bit of season one of the rebels. I just haven't seen it all, but I'll, I'll definitely be doing the the research on it. Um, but I also kind of like the other thing, um, advantages, uh, I have a less clear idea of what's where the season's going to, and I think that's kind of fun too, you know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the the uh, well, uh, we got more on this later. Um, Gary Zegerbear says, "Super nerdy me is very excited you're covering this season of Mandalorian. I'm a huge fan of the Clone Wars and Rebels, and there's a good deal of backstory for the Mandalorian religion. You don't say the dark saber, their stances on the Empire, Jedi Republic, and the later seasons of both series." Uh, one to talk more about the dark saber. Apparently, it was once held by a Mandalorian named Tara Visla, and was given as a gift from the Jedi. He was also the only Mandalorian to ever be granted into the Jedi Order. Wow! Later, become the leader of his Visla clan. It has since been fat, passed down through many generations as the king of the mountain type inheritance. Darth Maul even held it once in Clone Wars. Bo-Katan's clan had it too, and even Sabine from Rebels. The Darksaber was last seen in Rebels by Bo-Katan and a few remaining clan. By the way, okay, we we already got this. That's going to be Katie Sackhoff's character. Yeah. I didn't know she voiced that also in the the in the, the animated version. Apparently. Wow. As soon as uh, Moff Gideon shows back up, I'm doing my uh, Darksaber deep dive. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, that, that's just saying that when Mark, Mark, Moff Gideon has it, means he possibly won it from a Mandalorian clan or even Bo and is technically their new ruler. I don't know. Interesting. On the baby Yoda, who do you think the child is and why is he being sought after so hard? Is it a clone of Yoda? Is it a regular circle of life species birth or reincarnation? My wife and I like to think that it's possibly he's a Dalai Lama type figure. When one dies, another is born spiritually and is responsible for passing on the practice mm-hmm. of religion. What do you guys think? I like I've never that. heard that particular theory before, but that that's strong. Yeah, like an from avatar like a, the last force bender. Oh, I was thinking from like a balance in the force kind of perspective, it makes a lot of sense. It's his age. 50 years old is hard to like that's 10 years before the prequel trilogy, right? 10, 15 years? R- roughly, yeah. I I don't know, like, why would you clone Yoda in that time period? Uh, like, like immediately after, like, when he's dead and they've got, like, some, D, like, you know, there's some Yoda blood in the Senate chambers after him and Palpatine th- threw down. I could see cloning him then, but, like, it, it seems like he'd just be a natural child, and, and I think there is a Yoda species, just because we don't know its name and you know where they come from, I, I do think there there'll be a planet full of them. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know about the clone. I, I do like this idea of um, it being a Dalai Lama type reincarnated character, some kind of sacred figure. Yeah. Um, it's also weird because I think 
something I've always not something I've always struggled to understand about Star Wars is why the Jedi as as are seen as a myth less than a just a couple of decades yeah. after they were One the secret later. police of the galaxy not even the secret police they were like the you know they were they were like the uh, FBI of the the galaxy like if yeah 20 years from now or if if, if today we hunted the FBI to extinction mm-hmm. you would still know about FBI right you would you think know? so yeah um but I, the, people always said that's just how ruthless the the empire was at uh, cracking down. That in a single generation, people if you weren't alive to know about the Jedi, then you just thought they were hokey religions and ancient this and that. So I don't know. Information is hard to suppress. It is. It is. But also, we've never been ruled, fortunately, by horrifying space warlocks True. that can fuck with people's minds and and force choke you. So. Working on that. Maybe in 2030, we could have a horrifying <laughs> space warlock rule over us. 2022. Won't let's, that be nice? Let's, you know, don't give ourselves too much credit. <laughs> horrifying space warlock 2024. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Will says, it seems like you could use a little background info on some of the characters lore for the upcoming season. As a new canon obsessed fan, I just thought I'd provide some background. I attached a document with some info on Boba Fett, Ashoka Tano, and the Darksaber. Uh, I thought we'd go through some of this and just uh, provide our commentary. Boba Fett, on the podcast, you uh, discussed Boba Fett being a Mandalorian, but to my knowledge, he's not. Boba Fett inherited the armor from Jango, who came upon the armor through seemingly nefarious ways. Although Fett wore Mandalorian armor, the government of Mandalore saw him as nothing more than a common mercenary and insisted he had actually no ties to the Mandalorians in the Wikipedia. Hmm. But, you know, I, I looked in the article you referenced, and literally the next paragraph says that Jango Fett always maintained that he was from a planet that was the home world of the Mandalorians. So it's like, is he is he cast out? Is he, like, excommunicated? Uh, is he embarrassment to them? Like, like I, to me, that screams red lights. There's more to this story. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. And, and also... I have no idea how much they plan on respecting a lot of this Boba Fett lore. Yeah, so. we'll, we'll probably learn su- a substantial amount more about Boba Fett in the next few episodes. I agree. I agree. Um, Ashoka Tano says she was inter- she has interesting ties to the Mandalorians. Of course, this is um, uh, Anakin Skywalker's Padawan during the Clone Wars series. Uh, she has interesting ties to Mandalorians. She helped Bo-Katan, that's the, the Sackhoff character, take back control of the man of Mandalore from the rule of Darth Maul. Hmm. Speaking of dudes that we thought were dead down a big pit and come back. Yeah. Uh, during the siege of Mandalore during the end of the Clone Wars, this takes place in season seven. You weren't kidding how many seasons this show's got. If you could just get Ep- through those first six, then you could yeah, finally get to the end really, you need. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, episodes 9 through 12 of the Clone Wars TV show. I'd highly recommend these. They're basically a feature film cut into four parts. Uh, and it's a self-contained story. So this is some actionable information. Mm-hmm. Four episodes that I can watch to enjoy this particular part of Mandalorian, I can do that. Yeah. I cannot watch all of Rebels, Clone Wars, and read the comic books from 1987 through 1994 and <laughs> and, you know read Tales from the Bounty Hunters and all that. I can watch four episodes of a, of a cartoon series, though. Um, some more background, uh, background on Ashoka. She left the Jedi Order during the Clone Wars after being falsely accused of an attack on the Jedi Temple. Hmm. That damn Anakin. 
the damn Anakin. He's the one that did it. Yep. Uh, this is a few episodes story arc in the show. It showed Anakin and Ashoka how blindly the Jedi were following their dogma, as well as beginning to foreshadow Anakin's disappointment in the Jedi Order and his fall to the dark side. Damn shame they couldn't do that in the films. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Darksaber, he says, has an interesting story that has changed hands numerous times throughout Star Wars canon. I won't go into much details. It would take forever. But the basics are the Darksaber was created by this man- person called Tara Visla, the first Mandalorian to enter the Jedi Order. Oh, wait, have we already talked about this stuff? Seems, seems like we have, yeah. How it passed. I'm going to pull out the new details. Um, the difference of this from typical um, dark sa- uh, from typical lightsabers is it can parry other blades with some kind of magnetic pull. Parry other so blades? Like what, some... what do you mean? Other lightsabers or physical blades? Like it doesn't cut I think through physical them? blades. Yeah, like it repulses or pulls them to it. It's got some kind of special power that way. Um, that just yeah, seems worse, person... right? That seems worse to me. <laughs> Well, if if you if it pulls a, like a vibro blade towards towards it and cuts it in half, then that's kind of cool. Um, hmm. But yeah, like this again, asserting that the the person has a dark saber is the leader of Mandalore, which is interesting um, in terms of Gideon seemingly wiping out an entire uh, town of them. Um, Anyway, those are the the main points that they wanted to provide us with. Uh, and I appreciate that. And I I am going to try to take check out this uh uh this this particular story mm-hmm. um the season 7 episodes 9 through 12 because it does seem like that's the heart of the stuff that I want to I want to see. Yeah, I definitely um, want to bone up on this stuff cuz I'm admittedly I've never seen Clone Wars or Rebels, uh but it seems mm-hmm. like it's going to be valuable talking about the rest of the show. Yeah. But yeah, I appreciate you guys uh, filling in the, some of those uh, lore holes for us, and uh, we'll continue to do so all season long. Um, really excited to be have the Mandalorian back. It was a lot of fun, sitting, I felt like a kid on Saturday morning, getting up early, coming downstairs on the couch in my pajamas, pouring myself a big bowl, <laughs> big bowl of, of Lucky Charms in my case, and watching the Mandalorian. It was a lot of fun. Had a big smile on my face the whole the whole episode. Nice. Uh, if you'd like to send us more follow-up, please do so at mando at baldmove.com. Uh, of course, we will have an ep- episode out uh, almost every Friday. I know there's going to be a couple scheduled conflicts where we won't be able to get to it until the following Monday. But for the vast majority of the episodes, we'll have same-day coverage when Disney drops it. So um, thank you for listening to The Tribe of Two. We're uh, excited to have you along on this this uh, voyage to the galaxy far, far away. We'll be back next week for the next one. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.